Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Ecclesia, good morning. It is so good to be together. My name is Ian Graham and I'm the pastor. And I have a great Netflix movie recommendation for you. It's the movie About Time. Now, I stumbled on this movie a couple of years ago. It was like a late at night. I couldn't sleep. And I just started watching this movie. And I'm just overwhelmed by how beautiful it was. And so if you haven't seen the movie, I want to recommend it to you. And one of the things in the story, and I won't give away the plot, but there is a, a slight uh, plot line that is intrinsic to, to what we're going to talk about today is that uh, the, the men in, in the family of the main character, the main character's name is Tim, and he finds out from his father on his 21st birthday that the men in his family can travel through time. Now you can imagine how you might use the gift or the curse of time travel. And we see Tim get himself into all sorts of trouble using his gift. Now eventually, Tim uh, begins to understand the power and the potential and some of the pitfalls of this gift as he falls in love, as he has kids. But one of the things throughout the movie that's so beautiful, and again, won't spoil it, but, but it's a challenge throughout the movie, a challenge to uh, enjoy and appreciate and be present through the course of every day. And the movie sort of asks us this question, what are we paying attention to? Are we paying attention to the day that is before us? So every Sunday, usually about an hour or so before church starts. I don't know about you, I don't know if your phone is set to this cadence, but I get a little ping, a notification on my phone that honestly fills me with a, a, a bit of shame. You see, my phone rings and because I'm like a Pavlovian dog hearing a bell, I pick it up and look who it might be contacting me thinking like on a normal morning when we're gathered for church, it might be something important, only to realize that it's the weekly screen time report. Now, I don't know which is worse, that notification that I get every Sunday or the, uh, the, the somewhat infrequent ones I get from my bank, like they fill you with dread, right? It's like a commentary, how I spent my week and my time as, as I'm working hard at distance, distancing myself from the pace of our age, from the crazy uh, tentacles of the attention economy, uh, which we as a church have discussed in detail before. But, but, but this ping, this weekly notification reminds me that I still have such a long way to go. Last week, we began unpacking how we can structure our lives to cultivate a fear of the Lord that receives wisdom as an abundant gift of a loving God. We looked at the first practice that we see in Proverbs 2, that of hearing and treasuring God's word. And I encourage you towards a practice to put up scripture in your shelter in place, to make it scripture in place where you could see the words and the promises and the life that God has spoken over you, the blessing, where you can see it frequently. And our very own Elisa Coopy wrote some incredible reflections that are still on our blog. Uh, you can go to our website and check those out. But we looked at the framework that is, that is contained 
in Proverbs 2, this if-then framework that the Proverbs has, have set up. And, and again, I've told you my hesitations with the Proverbs. I kind of thought they were these sort of binary formulas where it's like, you know, X was plus Y equals Z. And what I found is that it's much more, as, as the best things are, much more ambiguous, much more complex, and yes, much more beautiful. But the Proverbs are, are giving us this framework, this if-then that you can see on your screen. And it says, if you, if you accept my words, treasure my commandments, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart towards knowledge, if you cry out for insight, if you seek it like silver, if this is you, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all knowledge, as the Proverbs tell us. You will find the knowledge of God, which is the very cry of our hearts, are the deep places in us cry out for the deep things of God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. And friends, as we see just so blatantly in our world, our world cries out for righteousness, for justice, uh, for people that live in a way that is uh, counter to the narrative that the world uh, sort of spins before us. And then it says that wisdom will guard your life, that there's a sense of protection, of refuge. And Proverbs 2 verse 6 is the focal point of this paradigm. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This verse acknowledges that God is not withholding wisdom. He's not, he's not reserving it for a select few. This, this verse says, Proverbs 2.6 says that God wants to give wisdom. He is abundant and gracious that every good gift in our lives hangs on every generative and creative word of a God who longs to bless us, who has founded the world upon blessing and speaks blessing upon blessing. The theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says, even in heaven, even in eternity, we shall not cease to hang on every word from the mouth of God. And this week, I want to take that practice to the next step. We looked at the first one, hearing and treasuring. And really what Proverbs 2 is inviting us into is sort of an extended, lived Lectio Divina. Now, Lectio Divina is the ancient church practice of contemplating scripture, divine reading, slowly allowing a text to be planted like a seed in our hearts so that God can do his patient work in us. And this week, we want to move to the second practice and the posture given in Proverbs 2 as we ask ourselves the same question that the movie About Time is asking, the same question that with a slight tinge of shame, our screen time notifications are asking, is, is what are we paying attention to? And so that's what we want to focus on today. Where is our attention going? And what might change if we were to course correct, as we've been talking about this sense of a path in Proverbs, if we were to slightly change the direction, how would it change the destination that we are moving towards? Now, the phrase that is used in Proverbs 2 is this beautiful active verb to make our ears attentive uh, to wisdom and to incline our heart. The word to incline our hearts, the Hebrew word natah, has the connotation of stretching out. It is used of people in the Old Testament when they would set their tents up. 
stretching out their canopies. And it is used when God stretches out his arm, extends his arm to make a way for salvation for his people. Proverbs 2 is calling us to tune our ears and our hearts, to stretch out our hearts so that we might hear wisdom and welcome it into our lives. It's calling us to make room. And friends, these processes may seem so, when we start talking about contemplation, we talk about uh, paying attention, it can seem so passive. But these processes, as we see in these verbs, are so incredibly active. And what these verbs are describing is a practice that we as a church have identified as core to our life as a community and as a people together. We preached a series uh, on these practices last year that you can go back and check out. They're all available on our website. But one of the core values of Ecclesia as a church, what it means for us to be a people, is that life with Jesus is cultivated. And I love this interplay in that phrasing, that Jesus is the one who, who pours out his life upon us, but we cultivate a willing heart. We cultivate a listening spirit. And we've identified four C's in the midst of this, this value, this life with Jesus is cultivated. And, and they kind of move outward from, from a life individually with God to a life lived on mission with God. And so those four C's are simply the contemplative, which we're going to focus on today, and the rest are community, congregation, and commission. And I encourage you, if you're interested by that, check out those old teachings. Uh, they'll be helpful to sort of set the context. But today we want to focus on contemplation, on tuning our ears, or in other words, focusing our attention, of stretching our hearts to make room for an encounter with the living God, and thus learn what it means in the words of Proverbs 1 verse 7, to fear him and thus to gain wisdom. Now in John chapter 13, Jesus sits down to a meal with his disciples. And before the meal starts, Jesus gets up from the meal. He grabs a towel and a basin and he proceeds to kneel down before each one of his disciples and to wash their feet. Now this was a task usually reserved for a servant in the household or the lowest, the, the person with the lowest status that was present at the meal. But Jesus flips that paradigm on its head. Jesus, as the leader, as the teacher, the rabbi, takes this role upon himself. And when he comes to Peter, Peter asks him sort of hesitantly and ashamedly almost, Lord, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter is, is insinuating to Jesus, Jesus, this task is beneath you. This is not something that you should be doing. And, and you notice Peter doesn't think it's something that he should be doing either. Peter's not saying, oh Lord, let me wash your feet. Uh, Peter's like, that, that's a job for someone else. Jesus looks at Peter with his patience and with his graciousness and he says, you do not know. You do not know now what I am doing, but later, later you will understand. And it's this in-between this sort of liminal space between the word that Jesus has spoken, between the way that Jesus has offered up his life. In John 13, it says that the word that Jesus speaks to us has already made us clean, that we receive that uh, unbecoming un of anything that we have done. Jesus graciously and freely gives it to us. But there's an in-between. 
As Jesus speaks this word of purity, of cleanliness over us, we receive it. And we try, and we try to discern the path forward. What does it mean to follow this way? In the words of the New Testament elsewhere, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And last week, we focused on hearing and treasuring the word of God, uh, immersing ourselves in a different and an alternative story. And this week, we want to take the next step in, in, t- in treasuring and accepting the word of God and hearing it and taking it into our very life, in allowing God's word that is addressed to each one of us personally, and it's beautiful how many times in the Bible God or Jesus says somebody's name, Uh, But allow this word that has been personally addressed to each and every person to take root in our hearts, to be planted deep in our souls, and to do its slow and patient work so that we might rejoice more in God's presence, that we might long for the presence of God as the deer longs for water, as the psalmist writes, and so that through a life lived with God, a life that is transformed by his love, by his hope, by his presence, that we might be a blessing to the world around us. And so this week, as we, we talk about what it means to make room in our lives, to pay attention to the Word of God, uh, I think we land upon three simple principles. And last week we touched on the first one. The first movement in in hearing, in in contemplating the Word of God, is hearing and treasuring it. Uh, That is the first step, receiving His words as words of life, as words of blessing, and as we talked about last week, as words of correction, calling us, to a gracious repentance, immersing ourselves in a better story. And I really fleshed out so much of this last week. So if you're if you missed last week and you're kind of interested in following this along, I encourage you, all of our teachings are up on Facebook and YouTube and on any podcast platform, you can check those out. But we want to dig into the, the second and the third principles that, that I think are inherent in this posture and in this principle as we seek to be people of wisdom as we seek to be people who hear God's word, who treasure it, who make room for it in our lives, who pay attention to it. And so the the thing that we see today, the second principle and the first one that we're really going to focus upon is the ancient practice of silence and solitude. Now, this, as we all have no doubt experienced, is the profound struggle of living in our modern, modern age. Constant connectivity. Uh, as Arcade Fire's song proclaims, there is infinite content and we are infinitely content. There's infinite content for entertainment and consumption. And all of this activity speeds up our brain into a frenzy where we're like a drug addicts who, who are just hitting on dopamine over and over again. And the, and the reality is, those dopamine hits are readily available at any moment. How many of us have woken up in the middle of the night and immediately reached for our phone? And and that sort of sets off the cycle where it becomes harder to get back to sleep. Have any of you had this experience? Have you been sitting finally in a quiet room? Maybe maybe the kids are asleep or uh, people are out of the house when that's a thing that people do and you're just in an empty room alone with your thoughts and you're by yourself, but it just feels like you can almost physically feel your brain like it's running on a treadmill that's broken and can't be stopped. 
Silence and solitude are the pillars of contemplation. They are like contemplation, uh, like contemplation itself. They're deceptive, deceptively passive. If you were to walk into a room and somebody was just sitting there, you'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? But in reality, for us and the way God has ordered the world, for us to live in right relationship to God, silence and solitude are some of the most active things that we do as humans. Ruth Haley Barton writes that as it turns out, contemplation is where the real action is. Real action is not about the absence of fear or about productivity. It is the courage to look fear in the face and master it through love. Annie Dillard says this, that it is is still the first week as, as she's looking out on the course of the year that awaits her. She says, it is still the first week in January and I've got great plans. I've been thinking about seeing. There are a lot of things to see, unwrapped gifts and free surprises, all requiring a lifetime of dedicated struggle. And I love the way that Annie Dillard structures those sentences. She has such a way of getting to the heart of matters. She says, I've been thinking about seeing. Now, thinking about seeing may sound like the worst kind of philosophical speculation or like hopelessly meta or or like somehow aloof from the world, but it's actually one of the most sensual things that we do. Seeing, tuning our ears towards wisdom. And Annie Dillard describes this seeing, and I love this phrase, as requiring a lifetime, get this, no quick fixes, a lifetime of dedicated struggle. Or, or as Eugene Peterson phrases it, a, a long obedience in the same direction. And, and this morning, I want to encourage you towards a, another practice that I, I'm going to take you uh, on over the course of the next week. You have your scripture from last week, your shelter in place, scripture in place from last week. And if you don't, you have every opportunity to start afresh this week. Go find a scripture that is somehow meaningful or resonant with you in this moment and put it somewhere where you can see it. Um, and so that, that is the practice that we took on last week and now this week. Um, as you've, you've sort of held on to your scripture, I want to invite you to take the next step. And for the next week, I want to encourage you just ever so graciously to yourself to put one foot in front of the other when it comes to silence and solitude. Now, we miss this so often. We think things like silence and solitude should be the easiest things in the world because after all, you're just doing nothing, right? But what we find is that silence and solitude are this incredible, uh, require this incredible effort on our part. And so anything Anything that's going to lead to life or beauty for the world, anything like playing a musical instrument or us observing Olympic athletes after years upon years of training, friends, I want to propose to you that perhaps a life with God is not something that just happens and it just flows. Maybe it requires some effort on our part. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to work. Grace is opposed to earning. And I want to encourage you, just as a baby learns to walk, to give yourself some grace to put one foot in front of the other. Now, some of you, some of you are Herculean masters of the universe. 
You set your mind to a thing, and one way or another, you will do it. Now, others of you are just a lot more fun to be around. I'm just kidding, but you type A folks. But no matter what your temperament is, no matter what your natural disposition is, can I encourage you to take a scripture, preferably the one that you chose last week, the one you've kind of already been meditating on, and I want to encourage you simply, one foot in front of the other, take 10 minutes of dedicated silence and solitude at the beginning of each day, meditating on that passage, receiving it as a word that is addressed specifically to you. I love what Pastor Mark Sayers and his church in Australia called a simple act. They called it win the day. And I want us as a church to begin to approach each day with just a simple, uh, simple dedication, a simple uh, direction of heart that we are going to win this day. We're going to start with silence and the story of scripture rather than the story of the world and the scroll of our phones. And this is part, as Annie Dillard says, part of the lifetime of dedicated struggle. And let's start by, as Proverbs 2 says, tuning our ears, inclining our hearts. So this is the second principle and really the pillars of what it means to listen to the word of God, to allow it to have its place and take root in our hearts, silence and solitude. And the last one I want to just encourage you towards today, the last principle of the three, is to pay attention in the present. Friends, we do ourselves a profound disservice when we cordon off spiritual matters, when we section off life into different segments. This is my church life. This is my work life. This is my political life. This is my uh, doing nothing life. We tend to fragment things. It is a, a, a skill and something that humans just tend to do. We break things down to their individual parts. And Annie Dillard is really one of our modern day patron saints of paying attention. She talks about thinking about seeing. She talks about a, a lifetime of dedicated struggle. And in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which I highly recommend, she puts the world back together again. She views the world in all its fragmented pieces and begins from those ruins, from those disparate parts, to see one congruent whole. And as I've said throughout this series, I think wisdom is so much just about congruence. It's about a life lived with integrity under the lordship of King Jesus. And Pilgrim at Tinker Creek is simply a book of paying attention to the world around her. Uh, Andy Dillard wanders through the mountains in Virginia, uh, the world that God has made, that Hopkins, the poet, says that is charged with the glory of God. And she says this, The universe was not made in jest, but in solemn, incomprehensible earnest, by a power that is unfathomably secret and holy and fleet. There is nothing to be done about it, but ignore it or see. 
Now, our phones provide us with an almost Gnostic existence. Gnostic tells us, Gnosticism tells us that the body doesn't have as much value as the things that we can't see. And what Jesus says to us in his incarnation is that it's all one, that, that heart, soul, spirit, and strength, this is, these are the tools with which we respond to God. Jesus comes in the flesh in order to, to repeat God's blessing upon the world, to say that the world that God made in the beginning that was so very good is still yet very good. And God will prove that so by placing his own life, the life of his own son, within the confines of our world. Gnosticism says that the spirit, this unseen part, is, what's really, is what really matters. And our phones provide us sort of a way towards Gnosticism, towards the antithesis of Christian life. They always beckon us that we can be somewhere else other than where we are. But the Jesus life is a life of incarnation, a life of presence. Eugene Peterson says this, prayer is paying attention to God. Mary Oliver, the poet, says that attention is the beginning of devotion. Rachel Naomi Remen describes the process of generous listening to Krista Tippett. She says, generous listening is powered by a curiosity, a virtue that we can invite and nurture in ourselves to render it instinctive. It involves a kind of vulnerability, a willingness to be surprised and to take in ambiguity. The listener wants to understand the humanity, or in our case, the divinity behind the words of the other and patiently summons one's own best self and one's own best words and questions. And friends, what what Rachel Naomi Remen describes so beautifully is sort of the art of paying attention, patiently summoning our best selves before God, our best words and our best questions. To fight the fight of being present and paying attention is perhaps our greatest call as a people. Karl Rahner talks about the future of Christianity. And he says, the the Christian of the future will be a mystic or will not exist at all. This is what Paul had in mind when he talked about praying without ceasing. It's not that we would forever lock ourselves in a closet, shut away from the world on our knees, but that our life in the world because we have cultivated a life with God, becomes prayer instinctively. That we, we become a people who are paying attention to what God is doing, listening to Him and rejoicing in Him. This is what we see throughout the life of Jesus. Jesus is able to discern. Jesus is able to respond because He is always paying attention to the will of His Father. And what you'll find is that the whole world is an invitation to tune our ears in the words of Proverbs, to incline our hearts, to stretch out our hearts, to welcome and receive the wisdom of God. As Annie Dillard writes of her experience in church every week, week after week, Christ washes the disciples' dirty feet. He handles their very toes and repeats, it is all right, believe it or not, to be people. Two stories as we focus on paying attention, as we, as we think about seeing this morning. Julian of Norwich was a 14th century nun who lived her life in quiet contemplation of God. Norwich lived in England as Europe was in the throes of violence, 
political unrest and the horrors of the Black Plague. And one night, she herself fell deathly ill and even received the last, last rites from a local priest. And through the course of her near-death experience, she received a vision of Christ from which she would draw upon the rest of her life. She wrote about these visions in her later published Revelations of Divine Love. But in the midst of a world at chaos, in the midst of her own suffering, what she found was that Jesus was nearer to her than she ever could have imagined. She writes as she contemplates God, For the goodness of God is the highest prayer, and it comes down to the lowest depth of our need. Julian's vision was of Jesus suffering on the cross, giving his life, but in the midst of this vision of Jesus' pain, she was immersed and overwhelmed by the incomparable, incomprehensible love of God. It was out of this hard-won reality, this furnace of suffering, that she could write her most famous lines, that all is well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And we usually think of medieval religion as this kind of austere, as, as, as somewhat ignorant. But what we see in Julian of Norwich's contemplations is that even in the midst of this horrible uh, situation in life, uh, in the midst of a plague that, that even uh, surpasses the, the, the sort of gravity of the one that we face in this current moment, is that Julian, as she contemplates, as she welcomes the presence of God, as she tunes her ears, finds that God is abundant in kindness, finds his gentleness, his goodness in the midst of this really harsh and cruel world. Julian finds that God is giving of himself abundantly. And friends, this morning, as we contemplate God, what we find is that he is drawing near to us that he is, is offering his kindness, his goodness, and his abundance. In a sermon called Our God is Able, Martin Luther King Jr. tells a very personal story of how an intimate account, encounter with God sustained him in the darkest hour of his fight for freedom and equality, a fight that, as we saw so viscerally this week, is ongoing. And we weep and we mourn with our black sisters and brothers this morning as they endure the trauma and the pain of yet another hashtag attached to a name, another uh, brother and sister who was gunned down in cold blood, another victim of the, of the wiles and the, the systemic machinations of white supremacy and racism. And we as the people of God, as the body of Christ, stand with our sisters and brothers and we condemn this kind of uh, mindset. We condemn this vile and sinful system and we stand with those who stand and we, we mourn with those who mourn. But Martin Luther King Jr., on the verge of, of taking the national stage in his struggle against Jim Crow and his struggle against inequality in the 60s, tells a very personal story of how an intimate encounter with God sustained him in the darkest hour of his fight for freedom and equality. King says in his sermon, almost immediately after the bus protest, had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters in our home. Sporadic in the beginning, they increased day after day. At first, I took them in stride, feeling that they were the work of a few hotheads who would become discouraged after they discovered that we would not fight back. But as the weeks passed, 
I realized that many of the threats were in earnest. I felt myself faltering and growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour and was about to doze off when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, listen, expletive, we've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up, but if I, I could not go to sleep. It seemed all my fears had come down on me at once. I had reached the saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I took my problem to God. My head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud, and the words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here, taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid the people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears passed from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me a new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources of life. Let this be our ringing cry that there is a great benign power in the universe whose name is God and he is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. This is our hope for becoming better people. This is our mandate for seeking to make a better world. And so the question that remains for us is, what are we paying attention to? You know, John Mark Comer said this, and I thought it was so powerful. Imagine if Martin Luther King Jr. had a phone. Imagine if in the midst of his despair, he reached for Twitter or reached for Facebook. And instead of taking his problems to God, just simply wasted away the hours of sleeplessness in sort of malaise and in sort of numbing himself. What are we paying attention to? Jesus says that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. His love for us empowers us to live courageously and wisely in the world. And if you've never paid attention to Jesus, what you'll find is that when you turn your face to him, that he has been looking at you this whole time. And that what you'll find is that he does not have a gaze of shame or of, of condemnation, but a gaze of unending love. He gave his life for you. His attention is focused on you. His eye is on the sparrow. He cares for you. And our lives are best lived under the gentle care of his provision, of his attention. Friends, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and his blood covers every guilt and shame and sin. I want to invite you this morning, pay attention to him 
and find yourself looking into the face that loves you more than you could ever imagine. Would you pray with me? Gracious God and Father, God, would you help us to be a people who are fixing our eyes upon you, God, who are tuning our hearts to your voice, God, who are stretching out the boundaries of our heart to make room for more and more of your blessing, God, of your wisdom, of your correction, God, of your presence. Jesus, let us be a people who welcome your words, God, who accept them and treasure them and incline our hearts towards your wisdom so that through the course of our life with you, God, in allowing you to wash our feet and spending time with you out of that life, Life for the world flows. God, out of that life, out of that blessing that we have received, we bless the world. Out of the love that we receive, we love the world. And out of the wisdom that you pour out from every word from your mouth, God, we live differently in the world, speaking a better story, a better truth that invites the whole world to the table. Jesus, help us, shape us to be a people of wisdom. We ask all these things in your beautiful name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.